One, two. Is it because you enunciate the T? Does three not do that for you? You need to pop, pop, pop something. Like sibilance. They're all idiots. Doesn't matter. Whoa, who's all idiots? Sound engineers? They're not cool like drummers. All the drummers who hold it all together and never get credit. Oh, stop pandering. <laughs> stop pandering. Brad, you know what happened to me? So, mm. you know, sometimes we do an interview and I'm like, yeah, you know, cool interview. This one, we went on a bit of a journey through time and space here. Yeah, of course, it's a meal. <laughs> and, you know, I like, I turn off the interview and I like switch off, but my mind is racing. You know, it's swimming with ideas and thoughts and avenues, wormholes, all places I'm going to go when I have the time. To drop some acid. But no, I don't get to. I put on swim trunks and I go directly to a kid's pool party with all this shit kicking around my head. You know, I I think that's a perfect place to go after after this interview. No wonder I'm like the, the cool dad in the pool throwing people around. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, I can't sit. What are you doing sitting around? I can't sit around. Not with this mind racing. It's funny that we're doing this right after Jeff Rosenstock because this is Emil's fifth appearance. Is that right? Solo. solo. Yeah. So Jeff has had more appearances because he did a lot with Chris and stuff. Oh, I didn't realize Emil was also in gold jacket territory. He's got four solo episodes before this. This is five. Right. Oh, my god. And then he's got one live one, and then he's got two as guest hosts. Who did he guest host? Duncan Trussell and and John Aniello. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, and that was such a great evening when we we all went out for it. Did you go out for the drink with Duncan Duncan and Emil? Oh, Duncan? No, I don't think so. It was quite nice. I was really bummed that I missed the John and Yellow one. I was out of town. Wow, that's that's great. I didn't realize. Well, congratulations, Emil. Yeah. He's next in line for his jacket. You'll get the metaphorical blazer that we'll most assuredly never make soon. Maybe if you hit 10, brother. <laughs> I mean, I thought I knew what to expect, but we were five minutes in. I'm like, oh, yeah. All oh, right. This is how these go. <laughs> this is how these yeah. go. <laughs> this is why, see, some people, we get return guests from, like, even my wife was asking me today, like, who are your favorite people to talk to? And I'm like, well, if there's been anybody who's come back two or three times on my watch, you can assuredly know I like talking to him. Right. So these last two weeks, Jeff, and, you know, quite different vibes, these two. But yeah. uh, both people I love to, like, explore the studio space, as it were, with, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, it's like... And that's where, you know, again, with Emil, I, you know, I have a whole page of stuff, New Grail's record and Holy Sons and music, and we're, you know about to get into it and then it just kicks off (laughs) and I'm just like, all right, we're rolling, let's go. And then he brings something up and then it just makes me think. And then, you know, he's, he's a very easy person to converse back with, you know, you're being, you know, listened to and, and pondered and it's, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just like a, I, I even texted him after I'm like, this is, I found this to be very nourishing, you know, it's a nourishing (laughs) experience for me. And I love talking, like I'll have him back. Shit, what's a month? Let's get him the gold shoes too, you know? <laughs> but 
Also, we should bring it up since, you know, I'm a bad podcast host and didn't bring up music in it. You know, the reason he's doing a press tour right now is because there is a new Grails record. And uh, I had a a beautiful walk down this record this morning where, like, I put on my headphones. I'm like, I do this due diligence, you know, for the yeah. for the interview and know what I'm... T- and I just went on, like, a journey for, like, for an hour, you know, where it's so cinematic. I feel like I'm in this big space listening to Grails and, you know, like I was saying to Emil towards the end that, you know, there's a couple songs where I thought... I like imagined myself holding like a lantern, walking through like a dark path in the woods. What's that sound? What is that? You know, and like, and and the tensions kind of building, and then yeah. like snap your fingers, and you're in like the cocktail lounge in Goodfellas, like, <laughs> like you know, with with velvet uh, tablecloths and and you know. Uh, Don Rickles and people making one-liners and stuff like that, you know, like totally different vibe, but also very cinematic. Like I stayed in that cinematic space. Yeah. So cool, man. I like really, uh, you know, and they, they got these pieces coming from all over, you know, the new, new members from Sweden and it's just very interesting. And again, kind of keeps planting, planting flags in new places, you know, he's like, uh, yeah. He's like the, the Jack London of all like alternative music. <laughs> <laughs> Exploring the musical Antarctic, you know? <laughs> musical Arctic? I don't know. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Anyway, it was a great interview and uh, or not even interview, I guess. It was a great conversation. Is that what we should journey. call it? Journey. Great journey. Journey. Journey through time and space. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. If I were you... I would take maybe a button, button of mushrooms right now, <laughs> microdose, you know, if you got a, yeah. some fresh green laying around, mm. maybe fire her up. Put those headphones on. Definitely. This is. Oh, and also, no, I'll talk about this in the end. Okay. Come on. Play the train. Play the train. <laughs> Let's go. I would imagine it's pretty hot right now, wherever you are. It's pretty hot. I'm in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, okay. So if it's uh, 90 degrees in New Jersey right now, like it is, then 
you're probably cooking pretty well down there. Did you get hit by that storm at all? Um, I didn't so much, but uh, we did have some some stuff come close and trees knocked down. And I mean, I could, at that point, I think God was watching out for me because I was like, I can't have any more problems today. <laughs> I had so many different problems. I was like, I can't take a tree on the house in addition. Wait, it was a rough day leading up to the potential hurricane. Yeah, yeah. And I okay. think like, you know, that God knew that like I would hurl myself off a bridge if he pushed it one more notch. See, I'm bringing the angsty energy early. Well, good thing for the other residents of North Carolina that you needed a personal favor that day. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so wait, so Brad, are we are we typically angsty? Am I angsty? No. Are our interviews angsty? Because <laughs> Emil, if we if we consider ourselves angsty, it gives us an opportunity <laughs> to not be angsty if we want to. You know, should we go into this with a different headspace this time? I don't think so. I mean, this <laughs> this is my job. You know, people. I've read the feedback. I've read the stats. Yeah, and people like the angst, man. Yeah, <laughs> they want us. They want us confrontational. Well, I think, you know, most of life is spent compartmentalizing and maintaining and trying to like weave through the post office line and not flip out, you know, and, and I think that when you sit down to listen to people and you hit play on a podcast, why would you want to listen to them just do more of that, you know, more, <laughs> more politeness? It, right. <laughs> I've been skating around town here uh, to get my exercise daily. And mm-hmm. I hit play on podcasts because I've I simply can't listen to some of the records I'm working on. I've just heard them too many times. Oh my god, I hear you. I'm in a very like if you I cannot fucking hear anything with like electric guitars and vocals. You mm-hmm. know, like like the rock band format right now, my ears are my ears are through until probably touring is done in like twenty twenty five. So yeah, I totally. hear you there. Well, so I've been trying to listen to other people's podcasts, not, you know, just kind of dialing up names of people I'm mildly interested in and uh, seeing them guest on things. And it's just crazy how much time people spend, like, with just dry details of, like, you know, even a fascinating question, like, how did you get into music? It's like 45 minutes later, I still have learned nothing. No, (laughs) no, that's way too broad. And and then I find, you know, my wife likes this, uh, what's his name? His name is Uberman, I think. Um, You know, and it's some, you know, chatty Cathy doctor who is offering, you know, a solution to some, you know, gigantic problem every week in long form. And, you know, the first like hour and 15 minutes is just like, I can't help but be like, this this person really just loves to listen to themselves talk (laughs) a lot. Because this is going, no, I don't understand what you're saying. How could you possibly imagine any layman sitting at home gets this? You know, and it just sounds, I guess it's going into the straight, like, I take stuff like that as... Uh, background music. It's like people who are okay with listening to albums and not knowing a song, you know? It's like they're not really taking in that information. It's just like some nice chatter to pop in and out of, you know? But I think that is a big part of, you know, sort of the passage into adulthood that we're we're all still going through is, is that like you start to accept that... Mm-hmm you know, you, what you're creating, this thing that you've put your whole life into in the most cheesy 
like all, you know, all in way is like just more background filler. Like, like as, as, as Fugazi as you meant it to be, like it's coming off like Katy Perry to, to somebody somewhere. So like there's something about, and I know you of all people have felt it because when you're the drummer somehow and looking out at an audience and they don't know your name, but they paid to see your (laughs) band. (laughs) There's, there's a feeling you get. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's like sad or, or, um, even particularly like frustrating, really. It's just, you learn to accept, like, like you see in their eyes in the audience that you occupy such a tiny, tiny window of of their mind. Mm -hmm. Like sure. Growing up, there's, there's the super fans like, like us who are super super obsessed with things that had posters on the wall. Right. And and they're still, yeah. The, the, the ones who actually know Will Calhoun was the drummer from living color. (laughs) You know, like, yeah. I love that that's your example. That's a good one. Um, great, great drummer. Great drummer. Yeah. And Corey yeah. Glover, very good turn oh. in platoon. Vernon Reed. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Totally. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and drop the bass player on you. Muzz Skillings. And I promise you I'm not on Google right now. I promise you. <laughs> Okay. When's the last time you, you watched Corey Glover's turn in, in uh, Platoon, though? It wasn't that long ago that I took in Platoon and was impressed by Corey. Dude, he was good. He was strong. And right across from him, the first Sonic Youth drummer. Is that right? Unbelievable. I didn't know that. I did not know that. Wow, to think they could have been jamming on set if it was allowed. Yo, my shit was not recording, so now I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that is that is that God saying that that the first part just wasn't that good. No, I like the first part, but it's it's funny you mentioned that. So, but I think what you mentioned wasn't as easy of a slide into acceptance as you said. For someone like me, like I came out of the, you know, just like you, the real local punk and hardcore scenes, and you know there was the whole lead singer concept of the 70s and 80s and these larger-than-life characters, right, was kind of muted intentionally, right? Like, mm-hmm. there was this, like, longing to be more humble, to be more of, like, an everyman, and these bands were presented as, like, units. You know what I mean? Like, like when you were listening to, you know, some mid-'90s Victory Records hardcore band, I didn't know the singer from Snapcase's name or the drummer. You know, it was just this like amorphous thing. So I went into it feeling incredibly self-important. Oh. Um, I was kind of the one who called a lot of shots in my band. I booked a lot of shows. So there was this like sort of managerial feel. And it did take a lot of like situational anecdotes and... um personal, in my estimation, like pride swallowing over a number of years to understand, oh, this is how people see me now. And not only that, but it's okay to just be a big part of this thing and not the thing or the person getting credit for the thing. But shit, man, I just went through this recently. I literally got kicked off one of my own records, essentially, like when wow. Gaslight when Gaslight got back together, I had to tell this band Mercy Union I was doing that I couldn't tour full time with two bands because I have a family and that's too much. Sure. 
And but I I offered to, you know, like play record release shows, stay part of the band musically. I mean, I created this band with another guy in a basement, came up with the name. I had written and recorded this record in full. And when I told them this, they made a decision to release a song without me in the image. So just took a picture of the three of them, released a song, and has have never in like a year and a half made mention that I wrote and recorded that record. Wow. <clears throat> and, you know, I've like had a lot of moments where I felt so vulnerable, vulnerable because of that and so upset that I kind of like, in sort of an ex-girlfriend kind of way, you know, where I felt like spurned and also like I lost something that I still kind of want. You know, um, uh-huh. and part of that exercise again, and one of the reasons it was frustrating was like the umpteenth time in my time in the music business that it looks like the drummer had no effect on this record whatsoever. <laughs> you know, like, like just switch him out, like, like <laughs> writing the song, creating the song, recording the song, having input on every part of it. Clearly, you could just take this person out, put another one in, it doesn't fucking matter. And when you have based your entire life, I mean, I'm 42 years old and I'm like 27 years into the music industry, even more at this point. And like when it keeps happening and you kind of base your life and you're raising kids and your kids know you as a drummer in bands and you still can be looked at in a way that you're replaceable, I still am not totally comfortable with this concept, as you can see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> there, bring it, bring in the angst. Yeah, that I re- I requested. Um, yeah, I think like early on, uh, I talk about this uh, briefly all the time, but but early on, like ninth grade, when when I was dealing with my straight edge hardcore band in my high school, we were getting in all sorts of power struggles and and like ego battles like even during shows or whatever just all the typical stuff and when they would leave their instruments at my mom's house i very quickly discerned like man if i can play these parts i could like do whatever i want and like there's just no risk mm-hmm. there's no risk of being let down by investing all of your soul in something and then having someone be like delete or, you know, like just whatever. And so early on I was like, I think I started to develop um, a long-term plan that was, that was safe for me to be in and like was kind of hard to destroy and hard to lose. And within that kind of formula, um, maybe there was the idea that, I didn't have to be super successful and I didn't have to, maybe, I'm not sure, but right. maybe there, there was the idea inborn in it that like I didn't even necessarily maybe need a record label and, and all these things. Like I wanted to set up a planet where I could live on that planet alone. And when you tell a story like that, I just think to myself, fuck, at least I did that. At <laughs> yeah. least I set up a reality where I could exist without another person just getting in a bad mood and tearing it down because most of our lives, I mean, are, are embroiled in major compromises. And if someone, you know, goes postal, right. Yeah. You know, your whole life goes down too. Exactly. And I think that's one of those, that's, um, you probably just pinpointed something that I think people have a hard time understanding, uh, from the real world to like, you know, 
the the musical Aerosmith type of world that we're in, uh-huh. which is uh-huh. like, you're right. It takes one person kind of at the top that sort of often trickles everything down to quite a lot of people who then start to base their lives on this trickle down. This isn't just other people in the band. I mean, this is full-time crew. These are people who work lights, who do merch, who manage, who book. Like, you know, you start doing this thing, the umbrella widens and widens. And because of that, I think that is where you develop this sycophant thing. You know, it's, it's not, people aren't so overly impressed by the people at the top. And that's why they start to kiss their ass. It's because they're afraid. You know, and it's because like they don't want to be the ones who lose it. And then they start to do that. So I think when people on the outside go like, why isn't someone just like stand up to that person? Like when you see Justin Bieber just like, you know, uh, uh, pissing in the middle of an airplane and like, you know, just like (laughs) doing his thing. And it's hard to understand, like, why isn't someone from that crew just be like, yo, Jay, you know. Let's cut that one out, you know, like or, or, or something, you know, but, but they can't because they're basing their whole shit off 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 the beebs, you know. And reflexively, you're you're describing why Jerry Garcia like OD'd because he just very, you know, it's very well known that he just didn't want to shut down all those people's jobs. So he just kept trucking through the heroin and uh, he just collapsed, you know. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, he was such a good dude, at least. Um in that capacity that he um, he just felt he owed all those people their jobs. And so he wow. just kept going and then just died basically in the act, right? Yeah, just like pushing too far when he really needed to, to unplug the whole thing for quite a while, yeah. Well, but maybe like Jerry like represents what happens inside of the artist when they see the full other side of the rainbow and they see the other side of the curtain like like Van Gogh and all these people they they remain kind of hungry and kind of upset and frustrated like no one sees no one understands me and so they keep pushing their vocabulary trying to break through and just kind of being sure that they never will. And then, you know, after their death, we just slap them on a postcard and it's like super sad and insulting in a a strange way. Well, I wonder too, when you say that, I wonder like, you know, when we think about true artistry meets commerce, you know, was like, is the, the truest thing that Jerry Garcia could have done in that situation is to let Grateful Dead go. You know, is it to be like, I am not the artist I need to be in this thing and I can see it. And this commercial part of it, yes, I understand, but you can keep it going. Just do it without me. And then that is, is that like the real way to like uh, stay true to the art if you're not connected at all? It's hard to say what Jerry needed himself. I, or, you know, right. maybe he did he need to just fucking go kick it at like a you know drugless fat farm you know and just like come down for a while and then get back out there in a healthy minded situation i don't know he was one of those those classic casualties that learned how to play music on drugs in right. in front of people and mm-hmm. was like part of that entire wave of people that associated like rebellion 
with drugs, with the power of music and its message. I mean, that cocktail is so, it was such a beautiful thing for this young wave. And then, you know, he wasn't really ever, he never really matured outside of that and, you know, just sort of pulled up his pants and had to get a job at Circle K or anything. So he, he was sort of like, he was sort of like, inside of that wave all the way to his death and nobody ever stopped the train and said like should we should we acclimate jerry to like reality in some way yeah that's um, right but i think that uh i think that he also saw his own by the time you're a touch gray i mean i'm not an expert but like by the time he's on mtv and stuff i think he probably saw his entire contribution as a bit of a cartoon, you know, and he looked out into the audience and saw some of those people objectifying him and not really like understanding that he's a human being and, and kind of just feeling like, well, my job is to fill out this cartoon, like, like real Jerry on the couch at home eating his cherry Garcia was like kind of denied a, a reality you know right. his his job was to be a slave to the brand or he was just so far away from it right like that's where i've seen a lot of people go through that exercise of you know um taking the often the most vulnerable people and putting them in these positions where they're they're seen and critiqued you know to the to the umpteenth degree and that kind of creates like the character It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, now I have this shield. Jerry Garcia, this character out there, is my shield. And then you go out and do it so long. You know, that's where I wonder, like, again, from the outsider's perspective, it's like, oh, you know, even what I said at first, I've kind of immediately come around on it where I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah, why don't you just send Jerry Garcia, like, you know, out to Yellowstone for six months (laughs) on a ranch and just, you know, take it to Earth and, you know. But like when you're so young and your whole fundamental concept of identity and being and what makes you happy and your your friend groups and your social groups are all built around you getting high and playing your guitar, you know, after this many years, like, is it better to pull that away from someone at that age? Like, I don't know. Maybe it's worse. <laughs> it's Yeah, it is hard to say because just because somebody is like, just as somebody's clapping and and smiling and yelling like riff bro you know doesn't mean <laughs> that you're really changing anything you right. know and uh i think look at rick danko and richard emmanuel and most of the members of the band levon like those guys rode the the most gnarly beautiful crazy wave i mean the same exact wave same exact time and they're all on heroin yeah right and they're all doing the same exact thing as jerry basically on the same train in festival express right mm-hmm. and all of those guys crashed like because they didn't figure out the back half of how to live life right. they just kind of kept being a child mm-hmm. uh on the fun train you know and right. so you and I um, are born of a lot of the same aspirations. You know, I just want to play music all the time. I just want to like give that, get that creative space, and just stay in it. And um, I think once it, once the brands are kind of set up, and once the the uh, managers are in there, and everybody's trying to figure out how to kind of sustain a business, things begin to pivot. You know, and maybe maybe friendships 
kind of dissolve and, and like the, you know, then, then it's like, you're sort of just on a train to hell to, to some, some, some of these people, the Motley Crue or something, right, you know, right, they, right, right. they wake up and they're like, what is this? I didn't, did I create this? This isn't what, this isn't fun at all, you know? And so I think that going back to my ninth grade plan, I wanted to, to, to create a route around all of it, right? Like a route all the way around it. Not even like Neil Young, like in the sense that I could have a long career that where the audience accepts my changes, accepts my aging, accepts my experiments, but that I don't even necessarily need to get on stage. I don't even necessarily need to make that much money. Right. I wanted to create, you know, a separate entire world outside the industry. And so here I am kind of, you know, still doing it. And, uh, I mean, is that kind of like a lot easier said now, you know, at this age when you kind of have, I guess, you know, a certain level of stuff solidified, you know, where like, um, a lot of the things you do are, are, are fairly well known and, you know, and like you can go anywhere in the world and play your music and, and find these opportunities. I mean, I got to imagine from some point between ninth grade and now, <laughs> there there wasn't such confidence about the plan, right? Like, no, no. And the plan is like fallible. The plan right. is like always about to die. Like only, <laughs> yeah. only I can like fuel the tank all the way back up again and hit the road and kind of make it work, you know? Yeah. And, and so it's, it's driven by an engine of possible, you know, just like my own specific perpetual frustration, right. uh, which could be, you know, based on any one thing. But um, I think that I'm, I'm not trying to make it sound smooth or, or anything like that um, at all. But but I am trying to talk about building the dream, building yeah. building the right biosphere for you to exist in. I did some things right. And then there's, uh, you know, just the rest of the world, the rest of the universe, you cannot control. And so <laughs> right, yeah. it, it's very likely that what I'm describing could be that I'm sitting here today with no money in my bank account, right. with no property, with no, you know, that's not the case at this moment. <laughs> right. But like, it could be what I'm describing is that my autonomy led me to a place of, total destitution, which is, you know, the classic artist reality, yeah, right? The yeah. classic artist reality is like, you're in the Guggenheim now, but in 1893, you were toothless on a houseboat. <laughs> That's you know right. What I mean? That's right. So I think that, um, it depends how you want to read that reality. And most people want a lot more security than that. Maybe, maybe I sh shift and pivot now and, and, start doing hedge funds now and I've still got this discography behind me. Maybe I do that. Right. I don't know. I think that's a good pivot. Sounds right. I'm, I just started succession. I think this, this could work. Um, <laughs> so I, I heard you talking about um, this, this kind of really sparked my ears when you were talking about it, this concept that um, the first time you perform, like and the first time you're performative in public that something changes like immediately after you're observed and, and, and now you become the way you view yourself, I guess, essentially becomes uh, you know, performer rather than the opposite. And that kind of shapes 
the way you go about things. Um, mm. Does that like, you know, I, I that concept makes a lot of sense to me and I can kind of see maybe where that pivot happened with myself, but it also makes me think, does that in turn make our best efforts for humility and creating art for the right reasons like totally moot? I, re- I love that you heard that and and like grabbed that out of that podcast. Um, that concept is something that um, I could easily, I, I probably should write a book about or something. Uh, it's really interesting. It's, the thing is that that gateway of that concept is going to lead the layman, anyone down into, you know, understanding what anarchy is. The, that, that concept is mm. going to lead people into understanding what art really is. It's, it's a, it's a kind of narrow road if you really want to go down there, but to, in, in kind of a blunt fashion, I would say I wanted total selfishness when I was a kid. I wanted total control. Right. I wanted absolute, complete artistic freedom. And I, that, that pretty much marks out most of music history, <laughs> most of music history is just straight up a hundred percent entertainment. And yeah, right. people out there who don't differentiate between art and entertainment, that's fine for you, but fuck off and get out of my life because I don't, <laughs> right. that, that is not, I can't live around that kind of blurring of, of things right, because right. I don't come from, I come from an ancient breed of people that sees it a way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so there's this, this idea of like, just like I did, you know, watching kids on stage and seeing kids play in seventh grade and just going like, I want to do that. That moment the the seed, the germination underneath all of it for most kids is that they want to be an entertainer. Right. And when somebody sees somebody in a movie or they see them on the red carpet and they're like, I want to be an actor. It's like, you do. (laughs) I mean, you really want to like show up to work and like read lines that someone else wrote in a convincing manner. Like, I don't want to do that. I've never wanted to do that. But I think that most kids that see music when we saw Aerosmith spinning around a dude like looks like a lady mm-hmm. on an MTV in 88 or whatever, like that was acting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Oh yeah. And so we saw that and we saw, you know, the, whatever the drummer's like, you know, there's explosions happening <laughs> out of his snare, you know? And like, there's rain falling on his toms and like there's everything about it. Wait, wait, con- I thought that was sweat. It's completely, completely unreal. And then, so the child mind, you know, doesn't see behind the curtain, doesn't see a difference. It doesn't understand all these layers of things and what a brand is and what's being sold. And I mean, the child mind is the same as that, you know, 80 year old lady with the fan waiting outside the Guggenheim with the, with the, you know, Van Gogh shirt on because, <laughs> right. because she's just like, Oh, he's my favorite. I'll get the Van Gogh stamps, please. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like, yo, do you, do you even have a concept of who this guy was? If he was standing next to you right now, yeah, right. I don't think you guys would get along. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, 
Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And and maybe it's interesting. It's like when you get to a certain point, like if you're that well known in the world, then you still want to stay true to this art form. The lengths you would have to go in order to keep that totally separate almost seems like a Sisyphean task. I mean, I think like part of the the battle is finding a balance, like an adult balance. Like I went to see Hall and Oates a few years ago. Oh. I like Hall and Oates. I have, <laughs> I, you know, They're awesome. Yeah, I, I, like I'm a fan. And, and, you know, the last thing I wanted to see when I went there was like a bunch of people taking themselves really seriously. <laughs> and I got there and I saw a bunch of old dudes having a really nice time with each other, playing their tunes. And it mm-hmm. felt free and it felt completely performative. And I appreciated that. I was like, I am just here. I'm here to see the hits. And you know you're here to play me the hits. And we For have sure. this like nice little thing worked out, you know. But what this has to do with art, I'm not sure anymore. You know, because conceptually you could be playing the stereo and I could close my eyes and have the same experience. Oh, I think that, that Daryl Hall... Uh, I mean, those dudes were athletes of entertainment. Those guys were singers, you know, real singers. And like, that's a beautiful thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it, but don't get it confused with art. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, they were athletes. They were fucking incredible. and, And they were making something beautiful for a really large audience. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But they weren't, their job wasn't to walk in the room, walk in the studio and investigate themselves under like a, a microscope and and not know where they were going. Their job was to know where they were going. See, I wonder and- though when you say that, this is where I wonder maybe the difference between certain types of art. Like maybe certain types of art are an investigation of yourself. And stuff like Hall and Oates, I th- they gave up on themselves. This is an investigation of people. Like, I have to understand society, music, taste, culture, to write a pop song that will connect with people, right? Like, so is is pop music just like, is it still art, but just art designed to branch out and satisfy others over yourself? Well, I mean, I'm sure that they would tell you that when they were kids— what they wanted to be was like, you know, the four tops or the impressions. Like right. they, they saw people wearing suits and doing little spin moves and smiling. Mm-hmm. Well, suits, spin moves, smiling. That's entertainment, bro. <laughs> that's, that's what that is. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and that's what they cut themselves in the mold. And they did it. They went all yeah. the way to number one. My dad used to go sailing with John Oates all the time. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And when I was little, because they lived around Coconut Grove, Miami. And when I was little, I was like, Dad, I like I like the Daryl Hall guy. <laughs> and my dad whipped around and he said, that dude's a F word. Oh, okay. He was <laughs> an Oates. Your dad was an Oates guy. <laughs> well, my dad was like a tough guy. And Oates was like, would sail the boat with him. Right, my, a little more my dad, salt of the earth. Exactly. Yeah. I think my dad was like a, a macho dude and he like taught maybe John how to like 
use the, you know, do the sails right. and, and they would sail together. But like, he, I was like, dad, what do you mean? What's wrong with Daryl Hall? I don't get it. Cause in my mind, I was like, he's the singer yeah. and he's so skilled. Like, and I, I loved singing. I just thought like that was such a, I thought there's a lot of integrity to it. And he was like, dude plays with his hair all day long and looks in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it kind of crushed me because I, my dad was also saying that I was, you know, like that. I was vain or like I, I wasn't a real man or something right. like that. Because you, know, you, you liked Daryl. Totally. And I couldn't care less about that. I was right. just like, okay, got to steer clear of dad in, in all of these regions. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but, it, but, you know, I think that there's great integrity to entertainment when it's done in kind of beautiful, deep fashions. It can, and it, but it's not investigative. You know what I mean? I see. Yeah. Like investigative is going backwards into yourself, into behind, you know, the gears of the universe right. and entertainment. That's not, people would want their money back. You know what I mean? Right. That's not yeah. if you gave them that. job. Yeah, that's not their job. Yeah. So if you really want to go back to the the core idea of this, like once you're observed, everything changes, um, then I think that the artist, and, you know, Bob Dylan struggled with this. A lot of people who who meant well struggled with this, but, like, the artist's job is really more to um, – kind of shut down all those expectations and get and create a free space mm -hmm. where people can expect to be taken somewhere. I mean, in the last podcast with Duncan, uh, I did, he points out that in, in standup, no one wants to hear jokes they've heard before, but in music, <laughs> right. people only want to hear yeah. songs. They've yeah, heard yeah, before. yeah. Yeah. So, that's a fucking uncomfortable reality. He, sure. I mean, he just spelled out that like in his job, he gets to experiment constantly. Yeah. In my job, I have to deliver the same thing yeah, every single Yeah, we only get night. to experiment with perfection in a lot of ways. Yeah, like we're trying to execute what, what everybody already knows or else they're going to be pissed off. Yeah. Right, and, and I think I could probably sound a little bit... Um, somehow spoiled even like riffing on this. But the thing is, I'm not trying to court the audience that wants entertainment from me. And and right. the people that like my records don't give a fuck about that anyway. <laughs> right. So I'm not really turning away any great buyers here. But like the the my job is not to go out there and riff like this, you know, sweet child of mine solo every night. It's just not my job. And so that's, that wasn't what I was looking for, but the observation, uh, dynamic that you're, that you're bringing up, I think, I think that there is so much inside of that concept. I mean, does it bring, does it bring you to a certain moment of your career or anything that you've done that, that where you started tripping out on that or does it, why mm. did you pick that out? I mean, I guess because of like identity, you know, like you start to explore your own identity and your own impetus to do things and what drives you there. I mean, I always kind of, I can highlight some moments very early, even from my first show where I thought I found music as a vehicle to just feel good at something. 
to feel important. Right. To, to me, it was just the first thing I had stumbled upon that I was like, oh, I might actually be kind of good at this. And I like it. Mm-hmm. And I should probably do that more. You know, um, even less than like some true love of drumming. You know, like I love drumming in a band. I love drumming mm-hmm. in rock bands. You know, like don't ask me to fucking give you like 30 minutes of, uh, you know, rudiments on like the stage at Sam Ash or something. I really like, I don't care. I'm a full on songwriting drummer. And all I want to do is contribute to great rock and roll songs. Like that's like, it's what I've studied this whole time. It's what I'm into. It's what makes me happy. And I feel a great sense of completion when I'm part of that. Um, but the, I, I, I often run into a, a space where I, I get really nervous to play. I still do. Um, I, I, you know, I get really anxious. I go through sort of, uh, you know, different types of almost like uh, chemical whirlwinds where I'm like, oh, I got stoned four hours ago, so I need more coffee. And then I got to stop eating at this time in order to be ready for this. And it's all just to be able to like go up there and perform. But it takes so much like mental gymnastics every single night Mm. that when I come home from doing it for an extended period of time, I'm like, that was just exhausting. Like I did enjoy each night, but it was exhausting as a whole. And sometimes I wish to take that anxiety off my body and my mind and be like, maybe Mm -hmm. I should go do something else because this is probably killing me, you know? Um, So when I thought about this concept, I'm like, do I love to perform? Why am I doing it? And I think that's where it kind of like struck struck me because it made me sort of start investigating my own, uh, I guess, impetus for like starting, you know? That's the perfect story actually because i think that the ideal is the artist is trying to create a space even on stage with the material they've prepared or whatever or if you're a jazz player like the the basic scaffolding of like what you're going to do on stage that night you're trying to create an atmosphere that you can remain completely authentic within right mm-hmm. so that you wouldn't experience any sort of imposter syndrome. You wouldn't experience any sort of um, mm. anxiety because you would be you. Right. You would be you in real time. And right. and really, that's the ideal mm. is that, of course, you know, the ideal is that you would be an interesting person that was like <laughs> right. sharing something that was interesting. But like, you know, because that can't always be true. But like <laughs> then you get up there and – you want you want it to have have a free flowing no wall between you and anyone observing you know you want to be in real time so entertainment is the in the entire art of planning every single spin mm. every single smile dunking the ball and turning in midair to give a little smile to the 7 year old in row 3 you know <laughs> it's like the the professional in that um sort of aspirational skill is, is studying something completely different and that is acting. And, and, and Mm. we, as a culture are acclimated 
to understanding life through the prism of acting. And, and yes. it's a very 50s thing. It's a very, like, we're still stuck on it. And, right, and right. it has a lot to do with the birth of, like, motion pictures and, mm. and the way that glamour was sort of established as a capitalist sort of uh, pillar. You know, it's it's the way we see ourselves. Right, we and see, we don't see our, too, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. We don't see ourselves stuttering and we don't see ourselves failing. We don't, unless the strings and the piano are sad underneath and it's produced just right, you know what I mean? Like all of that stuff is narrated for you and you want to step into the prism of that narration to to feel as though you are part of the fabric of essentially like this grand entertainment, you know, yeah. feat, right? right? And so the Jandex, you know, the people that just melt the whole fucking thing down to see what's left, you know, <laughs> right. or, the, or the Timothy Leary who tells you to drop the fuck out because I'm a professor and school is a lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Those people are like, no, 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 no. It's what's behind all this. It's what's underneath the, all this that's God. It's not this man-made show. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so people that don't understand that can't trust, don't have the faith, you know what I mean, to actually go into the unknown. It's interesting. The artist's job. So the, even it's beckoning the customer, it's beckoning the layman to go into this, into this relationship of the unknown. Right. And people are just like, nah, 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 that's not cool. Like the, the, there's not enough like dope explosions and there's not enough like cool, like, you know, Stranger Things music in that one. So like they, they're completely addicted to that kind of um, processing, right? right? So you pull the processing away and they're lost. They're confused. They don't know why they've paid the $7 to go to the movie or whatever. Right. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's really interesting. Like, it makes me think two things right off the bat. Like, A, I, I do wonder sometimes, and I've been thinking about this a lot, is almost, is it beyond movies? Is it beyond culture? And is it philosophical? I do think that, like, the Earth and all of its inhabitants suffered a, uh, a, a great blow in some ways when we all saw Earth from the sky. Like, I think the second we all saw the pale blue dot, everything started shifting on its ear. Our concept of self-importance, what we are, the vastness of the universe and how small you are, like, really had to settle in. And I think from that point on, all of our pre-existing concepts are struggling because we need new stuff to make you feel better. Um, so, I mean, I wonder if that's part of it. Like, like not just like the 50s, you know, keeping up with the Joneses thing, but almost a whole, you know, philosophical, like re-envisioning of what we are. And that would obviously tie into music too, you know? Um, and then the second thing it makes me think too is, this day of, uh, of technology and Instagram and YouTube and TikTok uh, has this concept now infected its way into everybody. Like, because like, if you have a TikTok with 15 people following you, you're still performing for those 15 people, right? And, and now you're kind of in the same boat as Steven Tyler on this kind of, you know, <laughs> micro level and you didn't even realize it, right? Yeah, there's this phenomena we have. I, I live in a college town. So UNC Chapel Hill's legendary school because of Michael Jordan and things like that. And so, Alburian. Yes, right. Michael right, Jordan and Alburian, people. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like, back in the day, downtown, you would see all these different types of characters, a very diverse field of students. Um visually. And now for whatever reason, it, and I don't put a whole lot into it, but you see this phenomenon now where like these groups of kids walk in this like horizontal line wearing the exact same thing. I don't know if you see this hmm. in your town, but they wear all the exact same shirt, same color, same shorts, same shoes, same haircut. And they walk in like a horizontal line. And I'm like, hmm. I I don't know when this started, what exactly it is, but like back in my day, you know, people would probably harsh you for like, you know, not having any independent quality. Right. You know right, what I mean? Like, just even in the basic world, yeah, throw like, they'd some, be like, throw some highlight tips in those hair or something. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like, yo, did you call your friend the night before and ask him, like, are you going to wear that shirt? And like, there's no shame now. It's like, yes, I did. I called all my friends and we all decided to wear the same shirt. So something is shifting in terms of the narrative of like what just common authenticity even means, yeah. I think, at this point. I mean, you probably have a great point to do with, you know, seeing the earth from a distance and, you know, what what exactly the cavemen were after. But, like, <laughs> I, I just mean in terms of my phenomena walking down the street today, I'm confronted with some uh, some dynamics that are 
that are a little bit bizarre. And yet we don't know them to be bizarre until we're out ahead of them 30 years and we can look back and dissect and be like, oh, this was like purely a, a weird TikTok mental virus or what? I don't know what the fuck kids right. are doing, but it's bizarre. Or they're finding their like independence and autonomy and voices like online. You know, like the same kid you're seeing walking in that horizontal line could be a fucking rock star in in some sim game, you know, like... Uh, it's totally funny you say that. I, I think that you're on to probably a big part of it, which is just another like weird Orwellian illusion. I saw on Twitter the other night that um, I guess Albini had like chimed in on it because he usually okay. likes kind of shit posting to a bunch of nerds that are lost, <laughs> but like... Like he dropped in and made fun of them and they were super confused, but it was a massive, massive thread of oh, video really? game players that were saying that they didn't understand if video games make $29 billion more than music a year, then why is everybody still thinking musicians are cool and rock stars when video game players really are the rock stars? <laughs> okay. <laughs> And and like the the you're just screaming in your head as you're reading the thread the whole time like bro, just because you play a pre-imagined biosphere and you run around in it doesn't mean you've written it doesn't mean you've invented it right, like right, how right. can you not see the difference of walking around in a room that's been designed for you as as fundamentally different than designing the room right yeah. I just don't understand, but that's how far we've gotten mm. to this kind of capitalist late stage super confusion. And that's what you're describing, right? Is that the kids are just like walking down the street together and like, you know, they might as well all be named Larry one, Larry two, Larry three, Larry four. <laughs> and they're just kind of like walking on the street and they're like, well, I mean, my score on, you know, fucking Fortnite is way better than Larry too. So he's dreaming. Like he's a fucking loser. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, if they're putting their ego into their scores, just like you said, it's just a whole nother level of, of living bots inside the Truman show. You it know is, I mean? it is. I, I mean, and I always go back to the same thing. Like we have this conversation and my first instinct is like, wow, this is scary. <laughs> I don't like this. It feels very Ray Bradbury to me. Yeah, like you said, Orwellian, like who knows where this is going. Mm -hmm. And then I like to dip my toes back in the past a lot, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I love history. And one of the things I love continually about going into history is like you can go to every 20 years in every region of Earth from, the you know, the point that they were making history and go, what the fuck were they thinking? <laughs> that right, is right. fucked up. Wait, what did that king do? For real? A whole village right, because of that? You know, in hindsight, it's super hilarious. But at the but we're living through it all the time, exactly. right? You're looking around, you're like, how can you do that? Yeah. But in hindsight, they laugh at themselves. And that's so. where sometimes I, I, I'm like, I'm I'm like, you know what? I'd rather these people stick their fucking head in a phone and find their own weird sense of independence. Then go like drown women you thought were witches, <laughs> because like that's what they used to do when they were bored and not interconnected, and there was not a person in like Wisconsin chiming in, being like, "Hey, hey, hey, uh, that's fucked up. People aren't witches. You can't do it like that." 
like, you know, so sometimes I, I do wonder, uh, you know, it's easy to be a self-righteous old man, uh, as always, but, For sure. um, and, and, I, but I, I'm like, are we really doing things worse than was happened before? Yeah. Great art came out of that. But like you said, they're like licking lead paint off of brushes and, you know, total psycho, like not loving their life at all, um, you know, while they were doing it. And I'm like, and that's where I'm like, what is fundamentally better for the Matrix? Or is this just better for the Matrix to run? Like, like is this lack of independent thought and autonomy just makes it easier for people in power to just to keep us minions or whatever we are? Well, I mean, one, yeah, I think I got two takeaways on, on that actually, just just like you had. But uh, I think that one one thing is that we constantly bait ourselves forward into education is like the the answer. You know, <laughs> right. it, education is a business, right? And that right. and that's part of the access the access that like the world spins on. And and we we believe that well, if people are more educated, then they'll stop doing the witch burning, but they just never do. They just <laughs> never stop it. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's yeah. like, yeah, we can, let's educate everybody to the fullest fucking extent, but like it still doesn't change the nature of self-loathing, mm. hatred, you know, yeah. all the things that are core um, aspects of sort of the big bang inside of the molecules of human beings, right. you know? Yes. And so we're still going to we, find a way. We're still going to find a way to do what we always do, just in a different context. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you read if if you watch, you know, old movies or read old books. I mean, people were always this smart. Like we were always this capable. We have a lot of advantages now. But look what it's done for us. You know, I, I constantly try to imagine like. Kepler and these people like getting vaulted into our current time and just seeing that all the science, mm. everything that they risked their lives for inside of their century has come to this final point, which is giving a 12 year old girl a little phone so she can dance, <laughs> you know, like that <laughs> is the end of society's line. That's what we've done. Right. That's what we've created, you know, and, and we coddle, the coming the, the next generation in this way like here here it is here's your device you know like we've worked for centuries and you know there was the model t and there was like you know the industrial revolution and boom we're finally here we've got the little girl that dances on tiktok i mean that's pretty much what gets the 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 most hits in the world right i think that's what i mean apparently yes apparently <laughs> I'm, i i'm i'm not going to say anecdotally i know but yes, I've been told by management telling me to get on TikTok that that is where the most people watch it. <laughs> it does. It does kind of. It does kind of just call for that like artistic temperament just that much more that this whole machine needs to get melted down so we can see what's behind it and try to like heal it or approach it or analyze what exactly is even inside the matrix because the matrix is nothing but people who are fueling it, right? right? Like like this whole idea that the matrix is a grid pulled down on you no, and you're no. stuck yeah. as a slave is like just relieving you of all your responsibility. Mm. 
I, so I, yeah, the whole idea of conspiracy, the whole idea of like the man is keeping you down gets pretty old to me because it's just the fastest way to make you feel like, well, I'm a child that's innocent. I've done nothing wrong. And yeah. look at what the world's hey, done. I can't do right. anything anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, exactly. Yeah. It's the best way to get you to give up. You know, I like to keep a positive tinge on things though, Emil. And, you know, the same thing you're talking about, it also gives the opportunity to have 7 billion people dance together, you know? <laughs> maybe we'll get there, you know? Well, maybe we'll get there when we're down to like 2 billion. When we're down to like 2 billion, everybody will be scared enough and then we'll start dancing together. Maybe something like that will happen, you know? I think that, I mean, there's definitely this capability to transmit total total love, total happiness around the world really fast in, in its inside a compartment of, of communication. Yeah. I mean, there's, if you want to spin it into a positive thing, there is like wonderful aspects about, I mean, this is the time I live in. This is the time right. that I, yeah. I think I want to live in. I don't, I don't, I don't want to go backwards. I definitely don't want to go back to the past. I do worry about the future, but like, I do love, this dimension. I do love this time. It's just that my disappointment in the situation and what's going on, you know, basically in my life and everybody else's life, it, my disappointment is like, it's indicative of wanting change and, and you can't have important change without a, a broiling pit of dissatisfaction That's inside right. of you. Yeah. So it's positive energy. It just needs to be transmuted in the right direction. Right. And sadly, I mean, I think that that's more even universal is like, you usually don't get changed till there's broiling dissatisfaction or pain and suffering for tons of people. And then you get change, you know, like when it hits those boiling points, humans are, we've never been good at a uh, prediction, let's say. You know, like we know it's going to happen, but we still won't do anything about it anyway mm, until it starts mm. affecting you, right? I, I want to right. take, let's take one giant swing and turn here, right? Just for the- Probably should, probably should. Yeah, just for the the fundamental concept that there's some people listening who are like, listen to these two fucking assholes right now, <laughs> which there is a chance. Let's say tomorrow you wake up, right? And you have, oh, I don't know this number, LA number. And it's a Hollywood bigwig, right? Who's a giant Holy Sons fan. Your biggest one. Hits you up, says, hey, I want to make a film about you and your life. Carte blanche, spare no expense. Who would you cast as the major players in your life? You as a kid. And then would you go like, you know, real down-home non-fiction about it, or would you get a little fantastical, like The Doors or something? I mean, shit, haven't I been doing that with my podcast already? Um, <laughs> a little, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, at a, I'm kind of at like a breaking point in my, my age range where I'm, I'm like starting to feel like I'm not sure if my story has like any answer in it necessarily where I'm kind of, I'm kind of pivoting into wondering if like maybe music, you know, can't solve anyone's problems. Maybe I need to like, 
you know, not, I'm not going into politics, but like I, I'm, I'm at an age where like, I don't even know if, um, I feel like I need to question my own goals. So like, as in, so, as in like, you're not confident that it's like giving like uh, a positive effect that you want. Kind of. Well, I think that the podcast that I do has been about deconstructing the narrative of your life, right? right? So, so to answer your question, if I was to have to get embroiled in some sort of Hollywood feat, um, I think I would make it much more sort of um, being John Malkovich. I would like turn the whole thing okay. upside down right. and try to dis. I would probably try to melt down and. Um, deconstruct the narrative because I think the more you see yourself sort of at a distance as a character, you can kind of pull it apart and, and see what was even really real at all. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that this whole idea of you, I can picture Benny seeing like seeing a guy playing drums, like in Aerosmith and being like, fuck, like that's it. Yes. And then kind of making that your reality and be having the lights come down on you and you hitting that big Tom fill, <laughs> you know, right. and, and, and having that same smile, it becoming the thing, like the molding. And I, I think that there's something, the highway into that kind of self-creation is just too fast because underneath it all behind the the lens everyone is going through all these other things yeah, these right. other things that have nothing to do with the filmic version you know mm -hmm. that we present to other people mm -hmm. now the internet and everything in, in our day and age now if you've been around new york like you know everybody is a master at presenting themselves in quick brief windows at a bar. <laughs> right. But when yeah. you, when you live with them, <laughs> when you become roommates with them, you're like, Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a completely different person than I saw eight years in a row at the bar. Right. Everyone knows how to be impressive for 25 minute clips. Yeah. Right. And then, but behind the scene, they're fully rain man, like fully, <laughs> fully. <laughs> and so, I think that there's there's a lot of takeaway in there in in that we're not maybe commodifying creating entertainment out of the actual stuff. We're not really making right. entertainment out of art itself. We've gotten to a point where we basically celebrate the the narrative, the lie because it's sentimental at this point. Yeah. Like Stranger Things is one of the worst fucking TV shows on television. It's it's terrible now. <laughs> it's it's just garbage you know because it's part and parcel of this whole idea that like the substance doesn't even fucking matter yeah. as long as it has the big gated 80s snare right and it's got the like synth and it's got the font you know that's all anybody gives a fuck well, yeah about. stranger it's a cover band you know it's completely yeah, it's like <laughs> i want to just i want to have 46 ounces of alcohol and dance like i don't want to think you know and that uh, but that's probably what separates a lot of artists from kind of the rest of the world. And I think gets you to a point where you start bashing your head against the wall when you realize a large majority of people want the cover band. Probably totally. most, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think there's been times, and I can't remember what city I lived in, but I feel like it was maybe Portland where like a Pixies, the Pixies 
cover band was out selling the Pixies show. <laughs> that would make sense. <laughs> but yeah, no, back in, in our day, I think you walked into the local bar and you saw the like, you saw the open mic night band like doing Mustang Sally and you're like, Jesus fucking Christ. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I can't even be in this room. Like, I gotta go home. <laughs> and you go home and you listen to like, you know, Lou Reed's Berlin or like like David Bowie's Low or something that in your mind back then sort of compartmentalized like an artist exploring, you know? Right. Uh -huh. But but everybody it's like you're getting back to your house and you're putting it on and everybody's like, "Bro, let's go back to the yeah, bar. They're dude. kicking Mustang Where's Sally the again." Fucking Bob Seger, bro. Come on. <laughs> and it's Kick like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> exactly. I just, it, we've gotten to a point where it's like, there's so much affection for the fakeness. Yeah. There's so much affection for this like disturbing quality because we've, we've, even me, I mean, like I'm buying experimental records that are put out this year that like, sometimes I'm not sure if it's made in 1971. Like that's yeah, how right. much our cycle has overlapped because our current expression is actually the same language as a formerly abandoned expression. Uh, uh -huh, uh -huh. And, I, and I find that a little dizzying, it, it, like, cause we grew up pre-internet. So we, we had a sobering li like linear path, right. you know what I mean? But now it's just a dizzy drunken soup. You know? I mean, is there any like facets or genres of music and art that you really feel are like functionally separating themselves and, and moving in different directions. I mean, you know, like I have a, a cousin who lives out in Berlin who writes electric music and, and it literally has names. I, I've never even heard of this type of fucking music, let alone him progressing it to a different point and stuff like that. And there's this whole scene supporting it. So sometimes I'm like, oh, okay. Like people are pushing, they're out there, they're doing their thing. But, you know, my window that came from the place it's at and exists where it is doesn't really have access to it anymore. I do think, yeah, electronic music a few years ago was um, was still birthing, like, new forms. I, and when I say a few years ago, I, I'm picturing, like, seven years ago or something like, like any that. Any artists I, in particular that you were finding were, were really pushing it then? Well, I mean, at the time I was I was going to this record store in Manhattan in Chinatown, Two Bridges, and I, I've talked about it a few times, but it's, it doesn't matter. It's very it's very important to me. But but this guy at the store would basically deal me the newest experimental music out that week, you know, okay. and and I would never really look at the names of the mm. people because because I think at that point at that kind of hyper accelerated point everybody was kind of talking to each other really quickly. Um, not dissimilar from punks in the 80s with 7-inches, just like the 7-inches just flying at each other and right. just permutations just spinning off of each other. Mm -hmm. There are definitely windows of freedom um, that occur. We don't know why exactly when. But yeah, there the electronic music in Berlin for sure has, has uh, periodically supplied the birth of a lot of new forms, for sure. I, at this moment... I, I think that everyone has pulled apart every like little molecule of electronic music to a point where it's been so deconstructed um, that I just I can't even 
I can't even fathom hearing something at this point where I'm like, I've fucking never heard anyone do that. Like, cause I feel like I've just, I've spent so much money investigating (laughs) that world. And it's really, it's really pleasing. It's really fun to just dive into that zone completely because it's so immersive and it's so druggy and it's so fuzzy and it feels so good. Yeah. But, um, but now we're in, we're in a new, you know, we've hit a new Island on our little boat. It's not just open horizons. You know what I mean? We, we like hit land. Right. And like everybody waits for a paradigm shifter to come by. And like, I'm not talking about burial where you just like, added a new plugin, you know, <laughs> right, or right, whatever. Right, right, right. That's not a paradigm shifter, but like, but everybody waits for paradigm shifters all the time. It's one of the most boring parts of culture is that like we sit there with, with these kind of like avatar or whatever the fuck everybody's going to see, you know, it's like, and, and you, you want to like shake them and be like, why are you going to see it? What are you doing? <laughs> like, we need to move forward. And they're like, I don't know, bro. It's Friday. Yeah. I just, just got off work. Yeah, I just want to see know? some big blue motherfucker jumping around. Like, <laughs> shit's cool. <laughs> no, I think, I think we're at a place that, um, Nobody really knows exactly what form it's going to take. I mean, how many decades did we hear that the guitar was dead and and oh, um, yeah. and it was. I mean, it is dead. <laughs> like like you said, you don't want to fucking hear it. Um, but now we're getting to a point where every fucking synth plugin and everything is just out there for like a nine year old to master. Everything's been deconstructed. I think that we find ourselves in a in a pretty challenging spot. You know. It's not going to sound like John Lennon again. Yeah. It's not going to sound like David Bowie again. Like like somebody needs to like make things feel fresh just for all of us, even as artists, fellow artists. I wonder you know? I wonder if the new evolution has got to be just like more than music. Like I remember reading a book early on in some technology phase called uh Everything that's that's bad for you is good for you was the name of the book. And there's one thing that always stood out to me which was he took like a, a flow chart of the film Hill Street, or excuse me, the show Hill Street Blues. <laughs> and just like the, the concepts of the show, you know, and it was the first show in television history, apparently, that uh, continued the story from episode to episode. Like before that, you know, Matlock found the bad guy and then new episode with a whole new crux. This was the first time you actually had to follow episode to episode to really stay with the show and, you Mm. know, and then it it put the flow chart to lost, uh, you know, the show lost where all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it looks like a bowl of spaghetti because fundamentally, you know, like there's so many moving parts and he was basically making the concept that, or, or explaining the concept that our brains have developed to the point of understanding this many things at the same time and the Hill Street Blues brain from, you know, 1978 popping into this would just be nothing but confused. And I wonder with kids growing up these days, just like completely immersed in tech, that if the next shift in music doesn't have to be uh, visual, doesn't have right. to be live, you know, more experiential, like things that you're actually like, maybe the trick is watching someone write something in front of your face at a festival, you know, maybe Mm. the, you know, the music and the, and the live performance have to 
hit a point. I remember being on stage watching, I think, Diplo like six or seven years ago. I was with Ian, who plays guitar in Gaslight. We're on stage. We're going, oh, my God, this is amazing. And why would anyone come to our show (laughs) after seeing this spectacle? You know what I mean? Like, Like this amazing cacophony of things just being mm. blasted at you and then oh, okay go watch these dudes in their mid 30s plug in and and try to you know uh unearth their souls to you so like is that is that the next step where we're going to have to incorporate parts of tech and visuals and ai and all this shit to bring it to like some kind of next level maybe right yeah no that's a great point and i think that yeah boredom does drive the market sort of towards um more complex, you know, color TV, you know, right, like yeah. the everything always gets more satiating for the bored mind the more that we can develop a technological sort of atmosphere for a message to be brought through the pipes right. down to the viewer and you're and you're totally you're totally right there's there's this old Nietzsche quote that for him, religion was not religious enough. <laughs> and it, it kind of makes me think of like the David Lynch's and mm-hmm. and Todd Solon's who like who who kind of destroy the basic narrative arc so that they can like make a free space within an hour and a half film. Right. Uh-huh. And those people were doing that because they were the you know, the sheer boredom. Like they they're That's like, right. I can't exist yeah. in this hour and a half. And like the audience they're giving a great compliment to the audience. They're not insulting the audience. They're saying, you guys can anticipate the same old Hill Street Blues thing. We need to break this shit down right. and rebuild it, uh-huh. right? And you're totally right. There is going to be um, some grand rebuilding of how we experience the human tale. I mean, it's going to be the same goddamn story, but when it's told right, well, right. it doesn't matter. That's right. Um, that's right. It's uplifting because it is tragic. It's all the same qualities that have always been Shakespearean and, that's right. and ancient Greek, you know, storytelling. There's nothing wrong with that, but it needs to be done in a way that is is refreshing and makes us feel less like we're stuck at grandma's house watching Archie Bunker. That's right. That's right. And that's where I think some of the old guard, when I hear him talking, kind of, you know, I, I hear like a group of old rock and roll people talking about rock and roll can really start to sound pretty conservative. You know, we're not talking about politics, but it is a whole lot of things were better when kind of talk, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, that like, but, but I don't consider what we've been doing anything like that. You know, I, I, I consider us like looking for g- gateways and windows of freedom that we've experienced, oh, totally. referencing them and looking for them again. Whereas you're talking about the ponytail guy at the comic book shop or the <laughs> or the or the fest that's like, no, like snares need to be compressed just like Steely Dan or whatever. You know, I mean, not totally untrue. <laughs> I do. T- I well, tell people like monitor people now who I've never met before. I just say you ever heard uh, Led Zeppelin physical graffiti? I'm like, just go for that. Closest thing you can get to that, you know? Oh, and it's funny because that record, which is probably in the running for like greatest pieces of rock art history, right? Is like, it's probably, 
I mean, it's got to be up there in top three or something. But it's probably it was made with archaic, degraded materials, yes. like uh-huh. like the the uh, you know whether you're hearing the story about the drum sound always being like I'm a three mic guy personally. Mm-hmm. I don't really like more than three mics. But that was the bottom thing, you know, like, right. the, but that shit would be insane to tell to Meshuga, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. They'd be like, no, we strictly begin with 37 mics on the drums. Yeah. And it's like, bro, it doesn't sound better, dude. <laughs> Have you not heard physical graffiti? And they're probably like, yeah, no, I don't know it. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you think the guys from Meshuga don't know physical graffiti? <laughs> That's a stretch. That's a stretch. I'm totally kidding. That I'm not I'm comfortable totally with. Out of all this interview... That's the first thing I'm uncomfortable with. <laughs> that Meshuggah doesn't know physical graffiti. No, no. I just, the the idea that, like, that kind of, we we reached a kind of apex of communication with, like, sort of low-tech gear yeah. is a beautiful it is. thing. It is. I mean, the Beatles themselves are such a great example of, like, this, I mean, I don't know if you want to go out on this kind of slightly positive tip, but I think that um, <laughs> I, my, my old buddy from Truman's Water said to me once something about how we were, we were analyzing like the limitations of just a song inside of two and a half minutes or something. And he said, it really doesn't matter what happens inside of those two and a half minutes, you know, we're staring at waveforms and you know how boring those look and and how can a when you look at a waveform how can that possibly change your life it just looks so fucking stupid <laughs> and he was saying like there's just that a song really needs some sense of electricity like some sense of aliveness inside of that mm. little prison you're looking at mm-hmm. and although that's just like the most simple thing to say. I, right. I think of it all the time because the history of punk to Led Zeppelin to Diplo. I mean, that's all anyone is trying to do is break out of the prison, yes. you know, of, of sort of going by the numbers, which is what all the Salieri's, if you're an Amadeus fan, <laughs> what all the Salieri's are doing around that person that's striving and dying for that freedom. Right is they're just kind of constricting it back. And then the audience is like, no, 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 no. We're used to this. We expect this. We want this. And you're like, no, 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 no. Get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> and and so I think there is some element to which um, there's a positive ending to all of the things that we're saying. All of these complaints. And the, and the listener, if they've gotten this far, I think can feel that it's because we care. Right. You know, yeah. It, the, like the dissatisfaction is is the beginning, just like Kali or Kali Yuga. It's like the destruction and the criticizing is the beginning of the new era. Is the beginning of new ideas. Right. It's the beginning of going forward without all the fucking baggage that we're carrying that's weighting us down in the past. That with the things that didn't work. Yeah, and you're right. You're right. And I, sometimes I think it would be important for artists to project their angst more as, as love, you know, it's like, yes, I'm angsty, but I'm angsty because I love this and I want it to be Mm. better. You know what I mean? And I want it to feel good for everyone and myself, you know, like I think sometimes we get lost in kind of a negative prism of presenting it, Mm. you know, probably because of our awful idols we had, you know, like, you know, I, I can't even, I love that podcast disgrace land. 
but I can't listen to it because 50% of the time I walk away hating my heroes. <laughs> you know, I'm like, Jesus Christ, even the temptations I can't like, this is horrible, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so we're just working through that. But I think like we did have bad idols. You know what I mean? We had Ooh. people projecting that this art was coming from a place that was sometimes negative or at least perceived to be negative in order to kind of sell itself, you know? And, and you're right. There is like a, a real, it's like you care about something so deeply that you need to make a change to it, not because you hate it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm taking a risk, you know, in sounding like a total dick through the entire podcast today, because I'm, I'm assuming that the person listening has just a, a just a, a minimal amount of trust in where where I'm trying to go, and the, but there's a fine line because the, a lot of the sort of brave practitioners, the Captain Beefhearts, have been proven to be complete toxic assholes. So there's a fine line between toxicity and anger that builds something that is good for people. Right, because you know I mean? it's scary. I mean, we just had this conversation with Jeff Rosenstock in the last episode, which is it takes uh, a level of confidence and to stand on your own. Mm-hmm. And even a level of like, hey, I know you all think I'm wrong, but I think I'm right. And not everybody's set up for that, right? Like, like there's an internal right. structure most people have that are not, willing to take on that fight are not willing to be perceived in a way mm-hmm. they don't want to be perceived in order to, 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 to get there. So I do think it's bold and anybody who's doing it has to be willing to let go of some level of like, uh, vanity and adoration. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. I would, I would guess. Yeah. I think also like to show people that you're bored with the same old, bullshit with the same old prison is to show love is to show inspiration is to show, you know, something that's supposed to fuel all of us. I I don't think that you're necessarily trying to be a leader or anything. If you're just naturally saying, fuck this shit, (laughs) I'm bored of it. Uh And, and that kind of like that kind of impatience we identify as leading if it's bad brains or minor threat, you know, but that's, that's an impatience. Mm. It's an impatience with the old way, right. you know, mm-hmm. because the old way needs to go. <laughs> right. And so the, but you find people keep trying to put the old way in the new way. Yes. And it's like, no, no, stop, stop. Yeah. But it's, it's just kind of, you would want the, your, your friend on the Island with you or whatever, to see that impatience in you as like, like I want to, I want to bring us to a better island. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And they're just like, no, 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 it's too much work, dude. And and you're like, uh, well, I guess that's just the island I leave you on. Yeah, you know? right. Let's go with a desert island question to finish. We'll go okay. stock podcast bullshit just for fun to finish the the pod. But I am genuinely curious because I know you're such a, you know, a um a great student of all these things. So I'm curious. You're on an island. I'm giving you a book, movie, and a record, but you get two apiece, all right? For the book, I'm giving you fiction and nonfiction. For the movie, I'm giving you fun and serious. And for the record, I'm giving you a nighttime record and a daytime record. 
So what are you going to take? Lord. I like the nighttime daytime. I, I'm not going to get tripped up in, in the fact that anything I chose would just drive me totally insane by the second week. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, think, think of it. Cap, cap the exercise after like seven days. Okay. So it's a seven day project. Yeah. So what would be great for the first seven days? Ay, ay, ay. Um, let's do some sort of like drunken Lee Hazelwood for nighttime. Okay. Good. Let's do a little bit of like completely formless Terry Riley for the morning time. Okay. Um, for the film in the background, I don't know. I mean, let's say I'm, I don't know why I'm choosing this, but I like the movie Birdie. Okay. <laughs> uh, Be a nice island movie. Yeah. Wait, is there two island yeah, movies? Yeah, you get a fun and you get a serious. Okay, so Birdie's pretty, it's kind of in between. Right. You could throw Black Stallion in there because it would be inspiring. <laughs> okay. Maybe you'll get um, off the island after that. A lot of island yeah, scenes. there you go. And then the books, I don't know. I'm reading the Nick Drake biography right now, and I, I, I don't have a lot of good things to say about that it. But like I do want to finish it. Just on yeah. Ear. Yeah. It is a little bit. Uh, so I guess I have to bring that because I want to finish it and see if it sure. if he ever figures out anything. Okay. <laughs> um, and then the other one, I don't know. I just got a um, Chogyam Trungpa book that I haven't even opened. Uh, I guess it's like cutting through spiritual materialism or something. So that that sounds like I haven't even opened it. So I need to I need to read that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Brad, you okay? I'm a little disoriented. Yeah, I feel like I'm on a wave. I need to go to the uh, the chill out tent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take a little time tonight outside in the quiet. I'm going to focus my mind, focus my breathing. I'm going to let yeah. the mind wander to some interesting places. I'm going to hopefully Biggie the bullfrog is out tonight. Oh, nice. You got to. You got a neighborhood bullfrog? Yeah, he chills around and you hear him, you know, periodically through the night give his... <laughs> and I tried. I was sitting by a fire for like two hours the other night outside trying to figure out his pattern. 
to see if he was like speaking to me or communicating. <laughs> and after about two hours, I was like, yeah, no pattern. <laughs> I can't find If there is one, I can't find it. <laughs> you don't speak bullfrog. So wait, before it leaves my mind, we, we brought up Jeff Rosenstock in the intro. I'd like to give him a little love. Remember in our episode, episode 420, mm-hmm. bum, bum, um, <laughs> Jeff was talking about his hatred for merch cuts at venues and, you know, what he should do about it and how far he wants to take it. Guess what Jeff does on Instagram today? What? Little spreadsheet with every venue he's playing on the next tour, how much of a cut they're taking on merch. Oh, my God. And a, a nice, nice little essay on, like, how it works you know, what the actual deal is going on and raising awareness to this uh, practice. Good for him. And I'm like... Yeah. Come yes. on, Jeff. Love Expose it. it. Take a stand. Ugh. Now, if only, like, Taylor Swift would jump on board, we could really move some needles, you know? <laughs> yeah, the only thing worse than that is... Back in the day, I remember every now and then your headliner would tell you that you had to match their fucking Oh, yeah, price matching. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know that, I have also been a part of this and have had to do it. When you're already the opener and not going to sell anything to begin with. I know. So, like, say you open for Kiss and Mm -hmm. Narina and Kiss's T-shirt is $60. In the contract, you are not allowed to sell your T-shirt for less than sixty dollars, right, right? For anybody who doesn't know what that uh, bullshit policy is, did I ever tell you that story about the band? Uh, I believe it was Curveller Tack, who are a um, uh, a Scandinavian like kind of like awesome party metal band. They're really really great, and they did a show opening for Kiss. Their their <laughs> their logo is an owl, and right. they did a show opening for Kiss. So they took four owls with the kiss makeup on. Right. And ran right. like 50 shirts, you know, not even a big run. Right. And put it up at the stadium. And within like, I forget yep. the exact minutes. Oh, yeah. But Kiss's security team. <laughs> Bro, get those out of here. Can never sell them. But I got one. What? Really? Yeah, I met I, nice. I met those guys. It was one of those things where we met at a festival. And both bands were surprised we liked each other's bands. Like, they're like, oh, drummer from this band likes Curvelerta. I'm like, yeah, you guys rip, you know, and kind of the opposite. So we became friends and uh, yeah, they hooked me up with one of those shirts. So I have the the Kiss for Owl shirt. That is fucking sweet. But anyway, back on track. (laughs) Get the new Grails record. It's great. Go check out Emil anytime he's playing with Holy Sons. And uh, I heard he there might be some drifter sympathy coming back too, which oh, good you know, because he to put it. us all to shame. You know, beyond this great music he makes, he makes probably the most like artistic and put together podcast like anyone's ever heard. So it's really amazing. I wanted to ask about it, but I noticed that he hadn't done one in like a year, so I didn't want to. I've heard heard grumbling and grumblings. It's coming back. So. It's a cool show. It's, it's great. very unique. It's great. Um. Yeah, catch up to Emil at holy underscore sons on Instagram, at Emil underscore Amos at Twitter, and holy sons on Facebook. And this is sons, like not like Mother Gaia. It's like, you know, 
Like I've abandoned my oh, boy. Right. Right. Like that kind, you know. Um, right. Ugh. And then uh, we have a uh, Patreon, don't we? We do. We have a Patreon. It's um, patreon.com slash going off track where you can find a lot of old bonus content. We're working on some new bonus content. Ad-free episodes. Ad-free episodes, which is great. And if we do have time to have an early release, they are released early to our patrons. And um, naked pictures of Brad. And naked pictures from the chest down of me. Only chest down. <laughs> Classy. <laughs> Classy. Wait, is there actually a naked picture of me? Did I post the one of me playing naked? Uh, don't, no. Don't think so. I don't so. think so. Don't think so. I've talked about it on the show. Okay. Okay. Oh, and we should add. <laughs> yeah. You said that as a joke, and I was like, wait a minute. Wait, is that really true? That <laughs> we should add, too, at the end here, there is now, for Patreons, a fantasy football league. And Brad, I'll tell you more about this when we're off air because you gotta All right. you gotta post about it on the Patreon. Now I know, I know. Somebody asked me to today and I didn't I didn't think it would it, it gelled. I joined the league. You have to it's join. It's gelled. It's real. Are you gonna okay. join? If, yeah, man. All right, I'm, not you're gonna, in. I'm not gonna leave him hanging. Who are you gonna draft? All Jets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll see. This will be my first fantasy football league. So it's always, you know, first timers win all the time. So nice. you might just right. follow the ranks. You'll be fine. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks everyone for listening. Thanks to Emil. I hope everyone has a fantastic week and nothing shitty happens to you. Yeah. And uh, Brad, love you, man. Love you, Benny. Take care. Bye. Bye.